Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Sutherland are off to Wembley again. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Roker Report podcast where for some reason for the Checker Trade Trophy build-up we had a really sort of fancy outgoing intro but yet when we're going to Wembley when it really matters we're just doing a standard pod, go figure. I don't know what on earth my priorities are but apparently the Checker Trade Trophy was worth a lot more preparation than this. Regardless of that I'm absolutely thrilled to announce here on this podcast today that Sunderland have beaten Portsmouth nil-nil and go through on aggregates. All that's important is that we have beaten Portsmouth and we are going to Wembley. So I'll jump straight into the three-word review, or rather the four-word review, given that I like to add another word on when we end up playing well, and here they are. Magic Matthews says, Lee, 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 Catamull. SCFC North Yorkshire says, it's all or nothing. It's the hope I can't stand, say, time to avenge Charlton. Graham Field says, ending the Wembley jinx. Keewan Lawrence says, pod out on time. (laughs) Yeah, well, to be honest, probably not, no. Like, I'm going to say, just say this now. Please gamble responsibly. John Ollier says, my son deserves this. Ryan SAFC says, train packed like sardines. <laughs> Phil SAFC 73 has two, but I'm going to say them all. So we've got Rhythm is a Dancer, Ozturk is the Answer. Brilliant. <laughs> Love it. Sunderland Till I Die says, Jesus of Nazareth legend. Dave B says, Wembley, wife says no. Devastating. <laughs> Leanne Fisher says Hart can't take it. Richard says Will McGeady be fit? Robert Barber says don't book opera tickets. Michael Bowers says one final push please. And Dave Pick says perfect disciplined player performance. So I'll give the briefest of summaries about that game because we all essentially know what's happened and as far as events go the only thing that we really need to know is that Sunderland were resolute throughout the game and ground out a very respectable nil-nil draw against a Portsmouth team who still weren't really bearing the fangs and ultimately couldn't break us down. Which means that overall we go through an aggregate with a 1-0 win, as we said, with draw number 20 of the season. Which is absolutely tremendous. We will go to Wembley and we will play Charlton, who just managed to scrape past Doncaster on penalties. 
Now I think I'll get into who I'm joined in the studio with today. So on my right, I've not got Johnny as usual. I've got Josh. How you doing, Josh? Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm very well. This feels a little different because yeah. usually I come in and have a bit of a critique of players. Right. But having recently played on the pitch at the stadium, like, and I'll be honest, I wasn't very good. No. And it's not as easy as it looks. So I don't feel like I have the right <laughs> yeah. to. Uh, so I might be very positive today. If Jimmy was to do the player ratings on you, what do you think he'd give you? A optimistic five. An optimistic five. Yeah. yeah. What so he'd be wrong again, basically. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Sorry, Jimmy. I'm also joined by Morgan, who is making a rare appearance on the podcast. Not not a regular, but he's here nonetheless. How you doing, Morgan? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Thanks for asking. It's always nice when people are considerate. Johnny and Josh never ask me how I am. <laughs> well, to be honest, I didn't really mean it. It's just a good space filler, isn't it? So <laughs> True. Fair enough. I admire the honesty, if nothing else. And our final guest is Scott Wilson from the Northern Echo. How are you doing, Scott? I'm very well. Very well. Nice to be here. Yeah. Oh, it's nice, nice to have you in here. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm, very, I'm fine. No, yeah. I'm fine. I'm a uh, long trek down to pause with long trek back, but certainly worthwhile because, uh, like you say, got the job done. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about the Portsmouth game now then, as it's quite obviously the sole focus of today's podcast. It was a very, very solid, very professional performance, I believe. Not the most glamorous of the season by a long shot, but ultimately we got the job done. So we're going to go to you, Morgan, to start with. What did you make of the game? Give us your initial thoughts after you watched it. Well, from Thursday's game, it's positive because I think that we're now starting to bear the fruits that everybody's criticised Jack Ross of this season, which is we've probably not been ruthless enough in games and killed teams off um, over the last two games. But obviously, certainly uh, Thursday night, we did uh, we did the right thing, which was to be tight, keep a clean sheet. And obviously, uh, as I said, that system is um, is one that worked for us. It's not one that I would want to see us use on Sunday, but it, uh, it worked very well against the Portsmouth team. We've obviously struggled against. That's only one victory in five this season. So, mm. yeah, uh, very positive, good performance, some really good individual performances as well. Um, the likes of Ozturk coming in again after a red card mentally getting right for that um, Catamol and Ledbetter absolutely solid especially in the circumstances for Ledbetter as well I'm sure you'll get on to that later um, but yeah just an all round professional performance and um, I think we've got to be really confident now going into Sunday because we've turned the tide from the, the last two regular games of the season mm-hmm. two defeats to two clean sheets um, yeah. couldn't be more positive really I think individual performances definitely shone through with the likes of Catamol, Ledbetter, Ozturk being very notable examples. Was anyone for you a particular standout, Scott? Uh, I think probably the lads you've named. I mean, you know, Catamore and Ledbetter, for me, were the key to the game because, uh, you know, the first 10, 15 minutes, you felt if, if Portsmouth had really got, a, a, you know, a, 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 a head of steam up, got the crowd really going, you thought, that, you know, this could be a difficult night for someone. And it just didn't happen. And the reason it didn't happen is because from the word go... Catamol and Ledbetter just sat there in front of the back four, said, okay, come on to us, come on to us and, and, and you know, try and get round us and, and we'll just stop you. And and they did. They kept it simple. They kept the ball um, and and they just prevented Portsmouth from getting any kind of early momentum. And, and from that point onwards, Portsmouth were just, you know, were surprisingly flat at no stage did you get the kind of 10, 15 minutes of the kind of Alamo that you thought at some stage it's just going to be all hands to the pump? And it never really happened, and it never really happened because Sunderland was so well organised and so well drilled. Um, And, you know, as Morgan's alluded to, I think you've got to give Jack Ross a bit of credit for getting that selection right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because it was a fairly 
a fairly bold call to, to bring Grant in and play him alongside Lee. He hasn't done that an awful lot this season. Um, I'm sure you you know had it gone wrong, he would have got a lot of criticism for it. But but it, it went right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it's always a case of you could say yeah, but if it went wrong, he'd have got stick for it. But ultimately, it didn't. He didn't yeah, get correct, it wrong. Yeah, it was the right decision, and therefore it didn't go wrong. I mm. think that's. I think that's as fair as anything. What do you make about that, Josh? What did you make of the the Catamore-Ledbitter partnership? Because we we saw it early doors when Ledbitter mm-hmm. signed a few times, but we haven't seen yeah. much since. It worked very well against Portsmouth, and it it kept them it kept them quiet. Yeah, well, I really like the you know the four three two one formation that he had. Um, so, was it not four two three one? Th- was it not four three? I think I think on Thursday it was probably more four two three one. Yeah, right. I think Catamore and Ledbetter sat, and then Power was probably more advanced mm-hmm. with with obviously Honeyman moving out moving out wide. I mean, he yeah. has played four three two yeah. one at times, but I think it was definitely more of a of a two yeah, than a yeah. three than a one on Thursday. Two notable. What I liked yeah. about it though is that you know the midfielders were coming out wide to help help the fullbacks. Mm. A lot a lot has always been said of of Portsmouth's trident. You know, behind the striker of kind of Pittman, who I was really worried about coming back because I, th- I thought they really missed him in the first leg. We kept him very quiet, and as you could tell from that awful video of how he talked to the uh, the ball boy, he well, got yeah, very yeah. I was going to say, Johnny, that uh, Johnny, you're, you're called Josh, not Johnny. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, so, I'm too used to the man on my right sure. being, being Johnny. So we're all Jays. Yeah, we're all Jays. We're, we're all Jays. Well, apart from me, but yeah, I was going to say, um, uh, Brett Pittman. We didn't really keep him quiet because, as as you could clearly yeah, see, yeah. this guy can't get a right go at the ball, but yeah. of all people, yeah. So he he clearly got very frustrated by that. Um, and I just thought we kept all of them very quiet. Even when Jamal Lowe came on, I was like, oh, yeah. he would go. He I barely noticed him in the last, mm. you know, twenty twenty five minutes, or whatever it was. He was a surprise to me that he didn't start because I, yeah. I know he hadn't played well in the first leg, but you know he played ever so well at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever I've seen Portsmouth play well this season, he's generally been their brightest spark. Mm. So, you know, I, I was surprised he didn't play. And then you're right when he came on, he kind of offered nothing yeah. because Sunderland had shut them down mm-hmm. so well exactly. to that point that, mm-hmm. that all the kind of momentum had gone from them already. Yeah. yeah, but you know, talking about individual performances, I think McLaughlin. And Maguire deserve a massive notice mm. as well. McLaughlin, for obvious reasons, um, player of the match, you know, on on uh, at Fratton Park, makes massive saves. And I think just defensively, you know, as a back four, when you've got someone that confident, and you know, he's such he's such good, he's so good at uh, coming and getting crosses and stuff like that, that you just have, you know, such faith in him. And Maguire, obviously, for the goal, but I think what Maguire is so good at is getting in people's heads. And getting us in people's faces, and Portsmouth seemed very from the start. Portsmouth seemed uh, very, um, you know, they were, I mean, they were very cool and collected. You know, I just think having someone like Maguire, who you know is clearly a bit of a, a wind up merchant, is uh, is because of that. That's the that's the nice word. You've yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. Category of player. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. I'm not one to to use bad language on a podcast, but you know, there's there's another word we often use to describe people like Chris Maguire, yeah. especially in League One. But I think I think what you make there is a very good point. I think Maguire is very good at getting in people's heads, and I think what Portsmouth would have wanted to do prior to this game was to use their home atmosphere to get into our heads and perhaps mm. to create. I mean, they, they kept banding the term cauldron around <laughs> on social media, but it was uh, if if that was if that was a cauldron, then its its contents were very still because I yeah. didn't really I, I didn't I didn't see much of. I mean I mean beyond. Beyond the um, uh, the 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 fifty year old father who stuck a boot in Luke or nine when he fell over there, <laughs> yeah, the, uh... and Mick Hucknall, don't forget yeah, him, so... Mick Hucknall as well, oh, Mick Hucknall yeah, yeah. next Mick to him. Hucknell, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that for me that really played into our favour though because the game for me, 
It, it reminded me of the derbies when mm-hmm. we went on the run of beating Newcastle six games in a row. I don't think you could argue to say that on paper, all of those games, Newcastle had a better squad than us. But in the build-up to the game, the players, the fans, they really played the occasion rather than yeah, the yeah, game yeah. itself. And for me, th- those the, the six in a row, as it's, it's now come to be known, um, were because the Sunderland players stuck to task. They knew there was a game yeah. in front of them and they got through it. And mm-hmm. I think Portsmouth, they really overplayed it. They're... The players on social media talking before the game, how they wanted to batter us and this, that and the other. The fans the same, obviously the atmosphere in the ground. And for me, that if if I was a Sunderland player in that situation, that is exactly what I'd want yeah. because the the fan the players couldn't get settled. Sunderland got settled into the game very quickly mm-hmm. and the atmosphere became, um, well, it was almost apathetic towards the end from, from Portland. Yeah, fans. I think that's where as well, I mean, no, we keep on going back to it, but I think that's where your likes of Catamore and Ledbit were so important in that first 15, 20 minutes because, you know, they didn't, they didn't let all that outside stuff affect them one bit. And I think that yeah. did transmit through to the rest of the Sunderland team. You know, a couple, there was a couple of moments in that first 10 minutes when Portsmouth were flying and, you know, they, they had the two bookings, a couple of pretty dreadful kind of tackles where, you know, you felt like they were trying to get that reaction from the Sunderland players that just might have sparked something. And I think it's probably, the, you know, to Sunderland's credit that that didn't happen, that their minds were very focused on what they had to do and they weren't detracted from that. No, no, I think that's, I think that's a... Very, very fair point, definitely. When you look at, I mean, what you've made there, Morgan, the comparison between the six in a row and and that those run of games with Portsmouth, I think that's a very, a, a very good spot as far as comparisons go. When you look back at those derby games when we're winning three nil, two one, one nil, when you look back at them, what you had was you had a Sunderland team who had a real winning mentality about them as far as derby games went. There was a real sort of. There was, a, but at the same time, there wasn't like a romanticism of it. There wasn't a dramatic element. They were just coming into games knowing that they needed to beat their opposition. They were focused solely on beating the team in front of them. Whereas I think the Newcastle team came to have a culture of we need to play so that we can finally win one. And I think those two different approaches to a games instill a, a much different mentality in the two sides. If you go into a game thinking right, we just need to win. We need to do the job. We need to get it done. We need to once again do what we need to do I think that's a very sort of stable very calm mentality but knowing that you know we've got to fight back now we've got to prove the doubt was wrong we've got to calm the fears and finally get one over on them that's that's a lot different and I think that's from that mentality you get sort of that frustration that you could see from the Portsmouth side it was uh, mm. yeah there, there was definitely a lot of that there, there was definitely an element of um, uh, perhaps perhaps they were they were, bit, they were being loud and, and, and boisterous around us but to potentially mask the fear they had going into that game because yeah. they knew that if they don't get going, well, they never will. And I think I think as well, in a funny way, it actually helped Sunderland playing the first game at home. And, and and all the thought at the end of the season was oh, they've made a mess of that by you know losing at South End, they dropped down. You'd rather be at home second, blah, blah, blah. When actually, I think because Sunderland got themselves that advantage, it piled so much pressure on Portsmouth then in their mm-hmm. home game that you're right, they just didn't deal with it particularly well at all. Looking back at it now, I think fifth place really plays into our hands. Mm. If you look at where we could have had. I mean, I'll ask you this, Josh, would you have rather have played Portsmouth over two legs or Charlton? Well, I mean, it's easy to say Portsmouth now, we've won. Um, but before, beforehand, you know about, yeah. beforehand, probably Charlton, if I'm honest. Um, but I don't think Charlton dealt very well with their, with, with mm. playing the second leg at home either. Um, yeah. so that would have been interesting but I th- but then a part of me is like well I wouldn't have wanted to play Portsmouth at Wembley because of you know the whole check, check a trade trophy final and, and the bad memories that brings 
and I'm really glad that we were the ones to knock Portsmouth out early on. Um, yeah. Because I, I mean, I don't, I don't dislike a lot of clubs, but this season, <laughs> I've really grown a dislike for, for Portsmouth. I oh, really yeah. have. It's become um, a real running thing, hasn't it? It has, it, it has felt like a narrative pitch. that's run right through the season. Yeah, even on the pitch, and you know, there was there was videos that they put up on their Twitter. Uh, where the players were on the training ground saying, oh yeah, they, they celebrated like they'd won the World Cup and all this stuff. And it's like, why do you even care? Why yeah, are you yeah, talking yeah. about that? On your own Twitter, on your own training ground, it should be, oh, the lads are ready and all the other cliches that we hear every time. Yeah. But, but they just seemed so focused on us. I think that Netflix tweet they made as well is probably the yeah. most iconic yeah. example yeah, 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 yeah. Of, of them setting themselves up to be the antagonists. Yeah. But like any antagonist in a, in, a, in a good sort of romantic film, they've been overcome. <laughs> is that what this has been? <laughs> yeah. A rom-com. Well, I mean, romantic in the in the sensationist sense, perhaps not in the in the literal for yeah. for a genre, but yeah, why not? If the shoe fits, you know what I mean. Wear it. I don't <laughs> care. It, it it it'll get romantic if if we win and go up. Mm. I'll say that much. For for me, again, just before we sort of tie up this point, Portsmouth. I think as a club, that's the players, the management, um, the fans. They shot themselves in the foot because. You can't forget they beat us in a cup final at Wembley. So if anything, we should be the ones that are on the back foot. We should yeah, be the yeah. ones with the fight and talk. And and it was almost I don't know whether it's a I'm being a bit cheeky, but a small club mentality where you kind of yeah you want to stick the knife in. Um, but I don't know. I think had Portsmouth had been a little bit sort of quiet in the build up, and as as you said, Josh, mm-hmm. cliche standard football um, rolled out in front of the cameras. Yeah, the lads have had a great week. Blah blah blah. Um, but they didn't. They just they, they had something about them, and it was more than an edge. Uh, it, was, it was arrogance, really. Yeah, it was. It was, it was arrogance, yeah, and, it was and arrogance. it's and it's cost them because yeah, the, yeah it's the, been mis- misplaced, hasn't it? By the yeah. end, you know, I think I think they felt that they had got the Indian sign over Sunderland. You know, I, th- I think they felt that because of the way the season had panned out and because of what happened at Wembley, that it was almost kind of destiny that they were going to do it. When actually, you know, in many ways, they forgot about actually having to win the game on the pitch and. That's that's been their undoing, hasn't it? You know they haven't found a way to get through Sunderland in either of those games. Not at all. The arrogance has been has, has been something else, really. And when, and again, Morgan, you make a very good point. When you look at the two sides, we should be the ones with the chip on the shoulder. Why why they're sort of bowling about with this small club syndrome is is beyond me. But I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, again, like Josh, I've come to dislike Portsmouth this season, but. I think while there perhaps is an element of small club mentality in relation to us, dare I say, you know, touch wood, tin hat on, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Portsmouth are, a, Portsmouth are a, a, fairly, a fairly decently sized club and I think there shouldn't be an element of, of inferiority or of a need to prove themselves. They've, they've, at, until that point in the season, they had done us over time and time again. They'd beat us in the league. They'd got a point away, a very hard fought point for them and they'd obviously beaten us at Wembley before. I don't really understand why they were going on the way they were, but however they've gone, they've obviously gone about it wrong. The whole mentality is, well, it's um, it's just... It, look, look, it's look, disappointing. Look, look, looking back, they'll feel like they've got egg on their faces, the Portsmouth fans, I think. It, it's disappointing for me because I think my memories of Portsmouth when we've both been up there, Premier League, they weren't a bad set of fans. Mm. They, they were always decent level-headed and I think maybe this fall from grace has turned them, but I think, you know, coming to the stadium, I like the incident with the flare... Mm-hmm. Where I was sitting, the uh, where I was sitting, I was sitting in the Premier Concourse, the final, uh, final home league game of the season. That was a mouthful. Um, there was trouble with um, guy sitting in the executive yeah, area, yeah, 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 yeah kind and, of down in front of us, yeah. And 
at, at Wembley there was a there was a bit of trouble, and then obviously this the stuff with that idiot in the uh, in the crowd. So I don't know. It's just they've not really left themselves in a good light, and I don't think there'll be many neutrals sitting looking at Portsmouth being too disappointed that they uh, haven't got the opportunity to bounce back here. No, I I don't think there will be at all. Let's talk a bit more about Portsmouth, actually. Not not maybe so much their mentality now, more about how the manager, Kenny Jack, had set about over these two games. Because when I I look at them, if if I look at them and think that if that was Jack Ross doing what he did, Mm. I would be extremely disappointed with our manager. Because the the way Jack had gone about these two games for me has been, has been probably the biggest reason well, quite obviously, it's the biggest reason why why they've they've lost those games. The way they set out with their players over the two legs was very negative. They've they've had key players that you just didn't use or, or, yeah. or at least didn't use properly. What did you make of the way he set up Scox? I know you alluded to it earlier. It was. It, I mean, the first game. He, you know, for all that they were away, it still felt like they were very. Very kind of, you know, cagey, very defensive, very non-committal to the extent that they were saying, okay, we've lost 1-0, but we'll take that, you know, mm. th- that'll do us kind of thing. And, you know, as as the rest of these playoff games have proved, actually playing away from home in, in this pressure environment has not been that much of a disadvantage to a lot of teams who have actually gone at it. And, and you know, I just feel that the, the way they played at the Stadium Alley almost put them on the back foot for the whole rest of the tie because it, you know, it, it it kind of set in their minds, I think, that containment was was a, a decent enough way to go and they just couldn't get out of it down at Fratton Park. You know, like I say, at no stage did they build up their head of steam. As I said before, I was very surprised he didn't play low because I think he's the one player who's, you know, who's, who, who's pace and, and trickery and kind of dribbling ability might have caused Sunderland more problems than the first on the night. So that was a strange decision for me, for all that he hadn't played that well in the first leg. You know, they made quite a big song and dance about getting the left fullback back and getting Pittman back. But but on the night, you know, none of them really troubled anything. And then it was very noticeable um, at Fratton Park, kind of being in the press box with all the home fans around us, that... Hawkins is clearly not a favourite down there. You know, they see him, I think, as being pretty one-dimensional, pretty limited. They were wanting him off before half-time. And, you know, by the end, they were just kind of lumping balls in for him. And it it was kind of meat and drink for Flanagan and Ozturk, who just dealt with it really well all night. Yeah, especially, I think, in the case of Ozturk, who has been brought in, it would seem, to deal with the one dimensional League One striker. Mm. And and, you know, hitherto he's done it he's done it very well. Yeah. Once again. But that's another thing as well, what you say about Jamal Law, because Jacket didn't really use him at all in the two games, not substantially. What do you, what do you make of that, Josh? Especially in thinking about how Kenny Jacket's not used his best players. You look mm-hmm. at Jamal Law and as well Ronan Curtis, mm-hmm. who both have been, you know, big contributors to all of Portsmouth's goals this season. And you look at the second leg and it's a home tie, they've got to win it and yeah. they're both on the bench. If we'd left McGeady and Morgan or McGeady and Maguire on the bench when we were one nil down to them for a second leg home game, would you be absolutely gutted that Ross has done that? I'd be, yeah, I'd be shocked. Specifically, I mean, Law, we've we've touched on a lot. Um, I think Curtis did start, if I remember rightly, but I can see why you might think he didn't, because again, he was very poor. Yeah. yeah. No, um, I thought he didn't start. I think he did, and I, th- I think he started on the left, and then I can't remember the name of the lad who started instead of Law, but it was the quick guy who came on. It was Solomon um, Otterball, wasn't that's his name. Yeah. He came yeah, on kind of the last nothing, 20 really. at the Stadium of Light, um, and he looked he looked all right in the Stadium of Light, so I don't know if, if Kenny Jack had thought, oh, he's got a bit of pace, because mm, he, he looks rapid. 
So if you thought, oh, we'll bring him on for something a bit different. So we'll start him at Fratton Park and then bring Jamal Lowe on the last 20. And I mean, what a sub to bring on. Um, but it just didn't work out. And I think when you when you have something that risky and it doesn't work, you have to point the finger at the manager. Because Jamal Lowe was almost the hero of Wembley, you know, with that with that kind of that chipped goal. And he was just a constant, constant menace. Yeah. So it seems very bizarre because, I mean, if you, you know, we all know Luke 09 isn't a right back. Um, he's done a very good job, but he's not, you know, that's not his position. Yeah. So you'd think, you're right, we're going to put Jamal Lowe, our, probably our best player, against Lugo 9. You'd think that would be a simple kind of mm-hmm. equation. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm not post with my Jeffrey. Yeah, reason, well, that was it. I mean, at, at Wembley, Lowe spent most of his time on the right and, and looked good with Thompson, didn't he? You know, mm. they linked up really mm-hmm. well and Thompson was an overlap and was a threat. And, and you just thought that if they, you know, if they could get that link up going, then then that was probably the way that they could make it difficult for Sunderland down at Fratton Park. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, obviously he didn't start. Thompson... Thompson seemed to just want to spend the whole night rolling around trying yeah. to get players booked and win yeah. free kicks and God knows what. And, and it, yeah, the, you know, it was very strange the way they set about it. Mm. Absolutely. It, it, it was uh, within the... I don't, I don't know. I just feel like the way Kenny Jackett's gone about the whole thing is, is has been completely wrong. And if, as I said before, if that was if that was my manager, mm. I would be furious with him yeah. for, for the way he's he's gone about it. I don't know, a part of me as well, I'll throw this question to you, Morgan, a part of me thinks, and I could be way off the mark here, so you tell me what you think about this, but I think given how he's used players who perhaps he hasn't gone for the more the more creatively gifted or just like naturally talented players, he's gone for players who are fast and he's put a lot of faith in maybe big Ollie Hawkins in the second leg especially. A part of me thinks that has Kenny Jacket just tried to do a Coventry and beat Sunderland that way? Has he looked at that game and thought, right, you know, the likes of Bright and Abakari and Jordi Huula have absolutely ran riot at the Stadium of Light mm. and, you know, absolutely demolished them to put five goals past them. What do you think? Do you think that's any inspiration at all for the way he set out? I think he he's probably taken a lot away from the game at Wembley because that first half, especially in the Czech Trade Trophy final, that was the most complete first half performance I think I've seen from Sunderland mm. second half he brings on Evans he brings on Hawk, Hawkins and it changes the game it changes the whole dynamic they get in and obviously we know the end of that story so maybe he's looked at that I mean I'm the best football manager in the world with hindsight I think we all are <laughs> um, so his selection in uh, Solomon Ottobar was strange because yes when he came on at the stadium like he had an impact but did he really look that good or was he just fresh and fast against a yeah. Lugo 9 who's tired after mm-hmm. paying 50 games? Um, I don't know really because it, it, it's hard to judge because his selection in the first game is completely different from his selection in the second game. Now, if I'm Kenny Jackett, I'm setting my team up at home at Fratton Park where you're 1-0 down to absolutely come flying out the blocks, yeah. put a load of pressure on Sunderland who have... Um, named what looks like quite a negative team who are going to be pinned back. Get them under pressure earlier on. Early on, And uh, yeah. why, is, why is Jamal Lowe not on the pitch? If, if, I'm, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm a Portsmouth fan, I know we've discussed it at length, but yeah. if I'm a Portsmouth fan, I'm, it, it, like Josh alluded to earlier on, it's, it's McGeady-esque in terms it of is. taking him out of yeah. the team. So. I, I mean, the, the commentary one is an interesting one because had, had that Portsmouth team that played on Thursday night been up against Baldwin and Flanagan, is it slightly different? You know, Jack Ross clearly thinks it is because he's changed that back four off the, off the wake of the Coventry game and we haven't seen it since. So, you know, I, I do think you're, you're exactly right that Ozturk has been brought in to deal with the type of League One striker that Sunderland haven't always dealt brilliantly with this season. And, you know, 
he, he might have his limitations in other areas, but the job he's been brought in to do in the vast majority of the games when he's been in that side, he's done it pretty well. Yeah. I suppose that's another question that brings up, though. Do you stick with this back four for Lyle Taylor? Because he's a very different he's different, isn't he? To, to Ollie Hawkins. He's actually yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Yeah. He's technically good. He's strong. He's quick. That is a good question because I think if yeah, if you're Charlton, if you're Lyle Taylor, you're looking at the Sunderland back four as it stands at the minute and thinking, I can get I can get in and around mm. here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can cause problems. Definitely. Now, you know, to drop say to take Oz Turk out and bring Baldwin back in would be a very big call at this point, I, I think. think yeah. Um, you know, I can understand the rationale of why you're suggesting it because yeah, yeah. the attributes of those players probably set up better for Taylor but you know Baldwin's kind of been out for so long now and Ozturk has become such a big pivotal part of it that I think it would I think it would be a really big call I can't Mm -hmm. see it but I can kind of of see why you floated I think out of the two Ozturk would be the one I would keep in Mm, I think it would be more Flanagan I would look at taking out maybe for a Dunn um, yeah, well, of then, course, Dunn's the other one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. my figure there though with Oz Turk and Dunn is that you've got two big lads yeah. who can hoof the ball and, in the way of technical skill, do very little else. Yeah, and I, 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 in my opinion, that's the that's the pairing that if I was Lyle Taylor, I would be the most excited about yeah. thinking like, oh yes, two two big dafties, great. I'm just gonna yeah, get yeah, in yeah. there and just sort of like yeah, it's tough just one. wriggle my way around and I'll get through at some point. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't I'd know. Think Jack Ross would be the bravest manager in the world to change his. Uh, yeah. Back four now. Mm. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That, that's what I think. It's not. It's not an implausible thing to consider, though. He's he's, he's absolutely you know dropped some you know big big calls before. I mean, mm. when, when he when he took out both of his defenders, yeah, for the Doncaster game, that was absolutely huge. You know, yeah. I, I was absolutely terrified when I saw that. I thought, what you know, that yeah, was yeah, a, yeah. I was like, a, yeah. At that point, you have to think, okay, he's either very good at what he's doing or his head's gone. It was one of those cases where you didn't know what was happening. Well, yeah. But I think evidently, he, he's head's in the right place. The difference in those situations have been, though, is his hand's been forced by mm. the, obviously, the Doncaster mm-hmm. game off the back of the Coventry game, was it? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, we, don't need to, we don't need to talk about that. Um, I, I think looking at coming off the back of two clean sheets, I can understand how he can analyse it and say, Oz Turk, maybe he won't be suited or Don or Flanagan. But I think you look mm. at it, it's two clean sheets, as I've said. Flanagan, for me, has improved massively as a defender since Ozturk's come in. Because yeah. Ozturk's just simplified everything. Yeah. And I was a big critic of Ozturk early on in the season. I don't think he had very uh, many very good performances, but he's come back in. He's been great. Flanagan, my only sort of uh, gripe with him now is he just he panics a little bit in possession. Yeah. But I can live with that. I can live yeah. with that if he does his defensive duties yeah. right. If he panics in possession and his, his go-to is to hoof the ball out, then that that alleviates some fears for me. Yeah, we've seen that. Yeah, Baldwin it, and Flanagan yeah, earlier it, on in the it's season. It's when they try and play it exactly, out yeah. and they don't have the and ability to can't. play it out. Yeah. No. Hmm. It, it comes back to a point that we've made time and time again on the podcast, but that if we had defenders who were good in the air, good at doing the basics and were good ball players, they probably wouldn't be in, league, be one. in league One. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's exactly the answer. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, the, you know, the brutal reality is that that for the vast majority of players, you know, there is a reason why they're in yeah. League One and it mm-hmm. does stand out with defenders more because, you know, mm-hmm. if they if they if they're that good in the on the ball, but they can also mm-hmm. do the defensive duties, mm-hmm. then yeah, you know, they're in demand, right? The way yeah. up the pyramid. Matt aren't Clark they? won't be a post for the next season. No. No. I don't think so. No way. No. Speaking of defenders though, who shouldn't be in League One, in my opinion, I really rated Brian Oviedo's performance against yeah. Portsmouth. I thought yeah. he was absolutely yeah. excellent. I mean over the last month, to be fair, you know, mm-hmm. he obviously had everything that happened in January. You wondered, you know, would he come back in? Um, 
obviously James's injuries kind of again to a degree forced this the situation. But to to Oviedo's credit, yeah, since he's come back in, he's looked solid defensively. But then, you know, he is one that that actually is pretty decent with the ball at his feet. And, you know, when he gets forward, you are thinking, okay, you know, he can he can kind of knit a pass here or mm-hmm. or put a cross in. He's got that, he's hasn't he? Um but he's defended a lot better this last month, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh definitely. he's what the what we what we possibly had earlier this season with Oviedo was some very good attacking movements, some very great deliveries, but then perhaps defending that was a bit lacklustre when yeah, teams broke. We saw a lot of a lot of early. You know what? When there was that period like early on in the season where we were conceding loads of early goals, mm-hmm. we'd still win, but we'd concede like one early on, and it would just yeah. be quite a quite an uncomfortable thing to happen. That happened a lot with our general defending, and I think Oviedo was you know certainly a symptom. I think you're right. I mean. This is this is in a way going to be a kind of controversial one, but I think I think defensively he probably benefits from not having McGeady in the team. McGeady gives you so much going forward that you would always have him on your team. I sheet. agree. But I suspect if you're Oviedo, you're actually thinking a Lewis Morgan or a Honeyman or yeah. even a Power if he ends up there, or even Maguire mm-hmm. will protect you a lot more than McGeady does. So I, you know, I, I think that while. Sunderland have undoubtedly lost something going forward from not having McGeady in the team. Maybe defensively, it just means that you've got you've got two players covering on either side rather than you know that that that's not McGeady's game, is it? Yeah, I think that it was the Doncaster game. I noticed um, Oviedo was communicating really well with Power because of that reason. Power was having to do a lot of work on the left defensively out of possession because, like you say, McGeady for for how good he is yeah. going forward. Your, your full-back work rate's doubled because yeah. he just doesn't... To be fair to McGeady, though, I think, especially the last few months, he's uh, he's improved that aspect of yeah. his game. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, he's not one that you see him and think, you know, he's wandering around, he's just not interested in it. It's, it's just not his game, is yeah. it? It's not, you know, mm-hmm. he, does, he does it differently, if you know what I mean. So I think that is an element of it, that it's it's to help tighten things up a bit. Um, but I, as you would say as well, I, you know, I think Oviedo has knuckled down pretty well when... You know, we all kind of know what happens in January. What happened in January? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, with as well with um, Oviedo and McGeady. I think what you have with Jack Ross, with that selection you have, right? If I play Oviedo and McGeady, I'm essentially playing a lad who's now now win, wing back with a lad who's now now winger, mm. which leaves little leeway for actual defending down that side. Yeah. So I think what you say there is absolutely true. I, I don't think it's a controversial point at all. If anything, it's. It's a very logical one. If you say you play someone like Reese James with Aidan McGeady, what you have is a fullback. Yeah, it's very different. much a fullback yeah. with a winger, where that obviously the McGeady's lack of defending, even though he's doing a lot better, it's not what he naturally is meant to do in that role. Mm. Morgan's fullbackness compensates for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the best word I could have used there. <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've got better words in the lexicon than fullbackness, but we're using it, we're going with it. When you've got Oviedo and when you've got someone else, as you say, then it works both ways with someone like maybe like Max Power or Honeyman or even Maguire, someone who was a lot more sort of disposed to actually defending. Yeah. Because the... Well, I, no, I, I suppose it would be right to say that McGeady's more of what you'd call an inside forward in the sense yeah. that he contributes little. Yes. A winger is what you would contribute more so to defending because they would get back when the team's on the break. But McGeady's principal focus is to try and beat his man and cut in. Correct. And if the ball's lost, he's in the mixer. He's nowhere near where he yeah, should yeah, be yeah, for yeah. defending. Where And then Oviedo, he'll be in those positions as well. So then if you've got two tracking back, you've got a wide open space down that flank. That's just how I see it. And I think it's a... Yeah, it, it, it's definitely something where I think you've got two very good players, but their attributes aren't similar. And it's one of those cases where, yes, you can have good players, but you still need to have a good tactician as the manager 
to, yeah, to deploy to them correctly. That. Do you but, think it's that important as to why we've kept two clean sheets? Yeah, Portsmouth. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah, because I think we've um, we've just everything we've done. I think we've done right in that sense. I think when in the first game. It was a very cagey affair in the first half. I think neither team really wanted to break down the other in, for fear of maybe giving away the first advantage. Mm. But then when we started coming at them, we just we got that head of steam, the likes of which Portsmouth didn't get, as Morgan pointed out. And then we just went at them, and then we got the goal. We could have had another really Honeyman's effort was very unlucky. And then when we when we went to Portsmouth, I think and we've not really said this yet, and I really want to, but I think we, in fact, yeah. Tell me what you make of this. I think we did down there what Portsmouth tried to do here but failed to do and that's just to be resolute and to see it out I don't know what you guys make of that I don't know if you think those philosophies are similar at all I agree yeah I, I agree to a point I think I think you're right I mean obviously the fundamental difference was that Sunderland were defending something and so it was logical for them to do that I was you know I, I was surprised even at the stadium of light that Portsmouth kind of went down that route in the first leg because I thought there was you know there's nothing really between the two sides. There was an opportunity for them to win that game and, and have something to take down. You know, I, I thought it was strange that they were almost going into it saying, we'll take the one goal defeat. You know, it, it seemed unnecessarily kind of negative. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that, I think that there are similarities, but I just think that, you know, Sunderland were right to do it in the second leg because they had the lead to defend. I couldn't really understand why Portsmouth tried to do that in the first leg. No, I think in no context should a team ever try and defend a 1-0 loss. Yeah. And you see in the Premier League with teams who face Man City, they think, oh, right, we're only 2-0 down. Let's just try and make mm. it respectable, boys. It, it, yeah. It, 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 it's a similar thing there. I mean, you know, the, the mentality seemed to be, right, OK, we've only got a one-goal disadvantage, so we'll just keep it at that and we'll be all right. But any for me, well, if they if they'd been flipped, I can't imagine that Jack Ross would have taken Sunderland down to Fratton Park and said, "If we're coming away with a one nil defeat, we'll take that and we'll go up." And you know, at the very very least, I'm pretty sure he would have gone out to try and get a goal and see out what yeah. what that then made Portsmouth do. And you didn't feel like Portsmouth were doing that at all in that first game. I no, think, you sorry, you go. Morgan. Sorry, yeah, I just think the mentality between the two sides, the way obviously Portsmouth and Sunderland finished the season, they both finished the season quite poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a it's a really positive reflection on our squad that we were able to bounce back and put in two pretty good performances yeah. and come away with a um, playoff final. Portsmouth just they looked flat really throughout the full 180 mm-hmm. minutes. Um and they don't really look like they've uh, been able to bounce back from uh, from a position where when we came away from the stadium light, the 1-1 draw, I think everyone was saying, well, yeah, Portsmouth are going to go up now in second. And mm. I think that's really been a, a bit of a momentum crusher for them. Yeah. And like I said, Ledbetter and Catamol on uh, Thursday night led from the front, so to speak. And But more so, not just on a footballing perspective, from a, from a mental point of view as well. And mm. it's... Uh, for me, that was the biggest difference. Yeah, well, let's talk about that now. That that's a very good time, I think. I think, as we all know, Ledbit went into the Portsmouth game with his um, his mother having very recently passed away. Yeah. And we'll, you know what, we'll go straight back to you, Morgan, with this one. Just how big of a testament is that to his resilience and his character? You can't really put it into words. I mean, everybody deals with grief different, grief differently. But mm-hmm. um, to go into a game of football that means so much um, not just to the fans but to him also a Sunderland lad a Sunderland supporter mm. um, to put kind of to try and get into to his mindset and where he would have been I guess 
Ledbetter probably feels a little bit of responsibility to the club and to the city because he's come back and he's obviously wanted to get the club promoted. We haven't done it automatically. So to be able to still have that in the front of his mind when something so horrific and, and tragic's happened, it's you can't put it into words what a what a strong, strong mm. character mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. I think if you had to say what's the right character to have in the dressing room. The answer would be Grand mm. Ledbetter. Mm. If, if given how sort of mercurial how how many mercenaries we've had in recent times, it's it, it's a cliche. It's a very happy clappery thing to say, but it's just great to have lads who care and want to put on the shirts because there's and yeah. at no point this season has it ever felt more of a profound statement than it than it had. You know, watching Catamol going to console him after the game yeah. and yeah. him just sort of. Staring off, looking yeah. at Fratton Park after after having just after after having just played a massive role in securing his sides, his sides place at Wembley. It's um, it's absolutely massive, and I think while you should always choose quality over merit when you're picking a team, I think in most situations, Ledbetter would be my name on the team sheet for Wembley. Yeah, he needs to be there. And I love the the relationship that Catamol and Ebert seem to have now. Yeah, well, given the fact that um, about ten years exactly. ago in that derby, they were trying to strangle each other. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's brilliant. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's. I mean, it was it, it was really really strange after the game because I'm you know obviously um you know we cover Borough as well so I've kind of covered Grant for ten years so you know I know him reasonably well and and he was there on the pitch obviously after the you know mm. kind of ten minutes after the game and part of me was thinking should I pop across and say hello and then you could see just how. And, I, you know, at this stage, I didn't know any of the backstory. So you could see how emotional, he, I mean, he was literally shaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Katz obviously goes over and then a couple of members of the backroom staff go over. And I've got to admit, you know, my thought at the time was that it was probably related to his dad and that, you know, was it an anniversary or was it his birthday or something like that? And so, you know, right, leave him. And, and it's obviously, you know, it's a very emotional moment for him. Um, and then, it, you know, it, it, we learned the following morning of what it was. And you just think, my goodness me, how on earth, how on mm-hmm. earth can you kind of get your head around and, and mm-hmm. not only play, but play and put in a performance like he put in. Um, but then in, in other ways, it doesn't massively surprise me because, you know, as you've alluded to there, that's that's just who he is. He is the mm-hmm. ultimate. And, you know, again, we're going to go down cliche street here, but he's the mm-hmm. ultimate old fashioned footballer with old-fashioned football and values he always was at Middlesbrough you know he'd be the one that would be calling players out if he didn't think that they were putting it in he'd be the one dragging dragging them up by the boots when they you know 2-0 down at half time and whatever that's just his personality um and you know he he has to be a massive force in that dressing room because he was for 10 years at Middlesbrough even when he wasn't playing in the last year at Middlesbrough he was still the one that whenever you spoke to the rest of the team about what was happening on the training ground He'd be the one that, you know, even if it meant that somebody was keeping him out of the team, he'd still be the one chivying them along, cajoling mm-hmm. them, you know, demanding from them. Um, and that's, got, you know, that's just got to be a, a massive positive force in the dressing room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Mills- um, Millsborough fans were gutted when he left as well. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, gutted and yet, in a, in a strange way, I think most of them said, well, do you know what? Good luck to you, which yeah. is even rarer in football. Yeah, yeah. You know, when not only does he leave, he leaves to the club just up the road. Mm-hmm. But their view was, well, you know, we, we hope it's a success for you. You know, go and, go and play and, and go and go and, uh, get them up. Go and get them up, yeah. yeah. I think the club could do a lot worse than um, ensuring that he's around even after his yeah. playing days are over. I mean, 
the only the only sort of stalwart we've got left is Kevin Ball. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. Redbitter is someone who can naturally come in and take that mantle. No, that's a good. I think that's a really good point. And and funnily enough, I think Catamall has evolved into that as well. Definitely, you know, yeah. like. Uh, spoke to him a, a week or so ago and, uh, at the training ground and came away from that thinking do you know what he'll be a manager one day mm. oh, and you would never have thought that 10 years ago you probably never thought that 5 years ago you know he was still the daft kid who did this and you know couldn't keep his head and blah 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 but he's matured mm. so much um, and, and you know he's another one that I think the club need to look seriously at longer term what, what, how can they use him because yeah. you know he he um He's evolved massively over the last four or five years in that in that aspect. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, with Catamore, you can see it absolutely. But by no means here am I comparing the two people because I would never want to do that to Catamore. But Joey Barton's become a manager. You know, I think I think that that that, that does just show you that. The, well, that, Lee Boyer, yeah, the, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the daft it's lads be there of next weekend, yeah, the, the daft lads of yesteryear can become the sort of mature adults of today, yeah, with of course the exception of Joey Barton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, clearly people change and and people surprise you, and and you know, but yeah, I, I think with both of them, there's, you know, there's there's real uh, there's real character there in both of them mm-hmm. now. Definitely, definitely, yeah. So let's look ahead now because I'm, I'm going to use the the Lee Boyer um, mention there to segue us into the a discussion about Wembley now because mm. it's important now we look ahead to that game yeah. and we look to who will be the players who are going to turn up, turn out, and turn or turn up and turn out for us at Wembley, so yeah. to speak. Literally and figuratively, we need the right. Jack Ross has, has got to get it right. That much is blatantly obvious. We need the right team with the right characters and the right philosophy to yeah. see off a Charlton side who we haven't lost to this season, but we've really been tested against. Obviously, there was the first game of the season, which came away a nice poetic 2 1 win to start with, yeah. but again, we had to work hard for to get the win yeah. nonetheless. And then, of course, we went to their place and we got a 1 1 in a game where we could have easily lost because they were very, very good in the second half, if I remember. So, what I did was, is yesterday we asked Emma this week's quick question. It's not a feature we've used for a couple of weeks, but I felt this was a quite an opportune time to bring it back. I asked the people of Twitter, who will be our most crucial or game-changing player at Wembley? So what we'll do is, is we'll read out some of them, and then we'll just discuss them. We'll see what yeah. we think about them. So we'll start with Richard with the At Year 6 teacher. Personally, I think it will be Catamull. He sets the tone, he sets the press. Charlton are going to look to look to get Taylor in behind, so he needs to marshal that back four and not allow us to get sucked into being too deep. So what do you think, Josh? What do you make of that? We've discussed Taylor already. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly going to be huge. Um, he, for me, is almost the captain on the pitch. Um, and I know, obviously, George has the armband, but, you know, Catamore's the one who who rallies everyone and, and makes sure everyone is where they need to be yep. and doing what they need to be doing, him and, him and Ledbetter, when they're both on the pitch at the same time. So yeah, it'll be huge and I would love nothing more than to see Catamull be on a, a winning Sunderland side at Wembley. Mm-hmm. Would you go that, that far then? Let's go to Morgan now. Do you think Catamull should be your captain then if you want someone to really marshal the team and set the tone and set the press as Richard says? Or would you perhaps give that to Honeyman? Um, well, I would keep Honeyman captain. I think it would be very harsh to uh, rip the armband off him on the final well, I mean, game of the season. But, um, well, I think he will, regardless mm. of what my opinion is, um, which is I like Honeyman, but yeah, I think I think Honeyman will start. Catamull, whether he's got the armband or not, he's a leader, so mm. you don't lose that by not giving him the armband. Mm. Um, I think in terms of, obviously, Josh has spoken really well there on, on what he offers um, to us, what he offers against the opposition. Um, Arebo for Charlton is a threat. 
And um, I think he could be the man who contains him. He's done it in in the cup final against Man City. He marshaled the team really, really well. And we defended against one of the best teams in the world for 60 odd minutes. Mm. I think it was before we conceded. So a performance like that, he's got it in him. So yeah, he's ma- he's yeah. massively important. And Charlton don't have the world-class goals that Man City do in the locker room. No. Well, don't, no. don't say no, that now. Don't say <laughs> yeah. that yet. I mean, I, yeah, I, if, that, if there's ever a bigger <laughs> jinx, it was that. <laughs> got that out. When you, when you were saying there... The name that leapt into my head was Catamore. You know, I, I think he will be very important in terms of just dictating how Sunderland play. I, I, if if it's if if it's a kind of structured football match, I think Sunderland win it. Mm. I think the risk for Sunderland is that it becomes a kind of helter skelter mm-hmm. tear up, which games have turned into sometimes this season. Um, you know, one end to the other all sorts going on that's the risk for me and I think Catamore is the player who stops that when he's on his game mm-hmm, definitely Black Cat Yank says that's a good question McGeady if fit would give a moment of brilliance and whoever has the task of keeping Taylor under wraps so that again could be Catamore yeah, yeah, yeah. Another, that's a, I, would, I would say is essentially an indirect mention of Lee Catamore and also he says maybe Oviedo so what do we mm. think? I mean, obviously, if we're talking about world-class goals in the locker, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not saying McGeady's a world-class winger. I've, I've not quite, my, my levels of delusion haven't quite reached that level. <laughs> but as far as relative to League One, he's got some, yeah. you know, he's, he's got a blinder hidden away somewhere. Well, I think it's, the, the, the two key questions are probably, does he play Ledbetter and Catamore mm-hmm. and does McGeady start? I think they're the two real kind of, you know, imponderables. McGeady's an interesting one because... <sighs> It's how much it's how much leeway do you give him, isn't it? In terms of by the middle of this week, you would imagine Jack Ross is gonna want his team nailed down so he can sort out, you know, various tactical little tweaks, various things on the training ground. So you know is Aidan McGeady such an important player that you give him until literally Saturday afternoon to prove his fitness? I, for I, I don't think you do that for a final like this. I think if Aidan McGeady's going to play, you need by Wednesday to be pretty certain that he's going to play mm-hmm. and then your team's set up and you do it. I, I don't think that Sunderland can afford to kind of tailor their entire preparations over a last-minute decision on Aidan McGeady. Mm-hmm. For all that, for all that, I completely, you know, he's been Sunderland's best player all season. He's their most likely game winner. I, I accept all of that, but I just think that this side can win this game without Aidan McGeady. Yeah. And if it, if they have to do it without him, or fine, do it without him. I think the likelihood is that if he was going to come back, he would come off the bench. Given yeah. his, given yeah. his fitness, he was he's yeah. a very good option from the bench. Yeah. yeah. But as you say there, for the for the reasons aforementioned, you can't tailor an entire game around a man who may or may not be fit. If he's fit, then obviously he's straight on there. Correct. That's what it wants to do with him. But again, depend. I mean, his fitness could also dictate the role he plays. Mm-hmm. If you want to play a very like free, expressive role, just like in 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 and around the sort of the the last third, you know, in like in the hole, maybe winger turned number 10 in sort of free way he can do as an inside forward then that would that would mean that he's not playing with that gammy foot he's got <laughs> I don't know I mean I just think there's a lot there I think that. I think you're right I think he will be I think if he's in the squad I think you're right I think he'll be on the bench I'd be yeah, really yeah. surprised if 
you know, the fact that he's pulled out on the, on the you know, 10 minutes before the game in the first leg. He's not even travelled for the second leg. No. I'd be amazed if he started on Sunday. I think what, that just what an think, option from the bench. Correct, yeah. I think the point you've made is about um, the way the game goes is the most important in terms of, if it's a structured game, I agree, I think Sunderland win. I don't think you can go into a week before a cup final where you're not sure if, you're not sure on your team and you can't prepare for that type of game. Yeah. Well, the last thing we want is an open game like Coventry because that yeah. will descend into chaos and we'll mm-hmm. lose the game. Charlton, like you touched on earlier on, they're, um, they've got some very good attacking players, Lyle Taylor, Arebo mm-hmm. is another. So you need to go into the game, you need to know 100% what you're going to do. I think for me, I know we're talking about McGeady, but and I know he's on the other side, but Gooch is somebody who I think would be possibly... Um, sort of uh, under the radar important player just for the mm-hmm. work rate you get from mm-hmm. him to try and counteract Charlton so uh, completely agree McGeady if he's if he's 90% fit get him in the squad get him on the bench but I think it's uh, it's going to be too much of a big ask to get him in from the start yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. well that's um, it's funny you mentioned Gooch because the next um, reply I had here was from Phil Smith who says I think Lyndon Gooch due to his directness and Luke 09 for his energy and class what do we mean by directness do we think then Morgan for, for from Gooch. Gooch yeah um well, he, well, he's direct, I guess. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's cutting yeah. edge he's, insight from he's the not, <laughs> well, He's not <laughs> he's not the type of player who's going to pick up the ball, beat three men, and swing across in. No. He's the type of player that if you give him the ball in space, he's got a hellish final ball. We've seen that um, in mm-hmm. the was it in the first leg? Um, yeah, yeah. He the, put a couple of put the, the ball yeah, in. Put yeah, the, yeah. Balls could, yeah. He, he stuck um, right on Charlie White's head, didn't he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think. The other thing with him as well, the work rate you get from him. So yeah, he's a he's a winger, but he's almost like a kind of winger fullback hybrid, but not a wing back if that makes sense. Because he, he I gives think you his everything. Best games were at wing back. Oh, the football manager term is defensive winger. Def- well, he's the, therefore he is a defensive winger. Yeah, we but know. he's he, he, the work rate you get from him in defence, but also the output you get going forward. Yeah. This isn't to say he's a world class player because he's not. But he's someone who I think in a game like Sunday might become can be the difference. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect. Yeah, I, I can see all of that. I think I just I'm not sure where you get him into your starting side no. because. If if you play if you if you play Ledbetter and Catamore, then you've got Maguire, Honeyman, Power, Morgan. You would imagine it'd be three from that four in front of those for your starting 11. for your starting eleven. Yeah. yeah, even if even if say Grant comes out and Power drops back, I still think they're mm. your, probably your next three. You know, with McGeady as your wild card. So, I mean, you know, I. I can see, is... I can see the argument for yeah, Gooch's kind of defend the defensive side of his game could be useful, but I'm not. I'm I, I'd be surprised if he started ahead of yeah. any of them players. I, and I don't want to be too negative on him, but when you look as well, if you've got McGee as as you say, your wild card on the bench, how much more room is there on the bench for another player like Gooch? If you think about it, right, you'd have right, it would take up space on the bench. Yeah. So with McGee, we're now down to five. You'd have a centre half, wouldn't you? you done. Say if he's not playing. Done. Yep. yep. So then Greg we've, we've got four left. Greg, Greg. three. So we've got we've got three more spots. You've oh, still oh. got one of your your Morgan or. Mm-hmm. Who misses out? Yeah. Two. I think Ledbetter probably comes out of the starting lineup as well. Yeah. Another. So, def- another. Yeah. Okay. So there's one. So then he might be your last sub, yeah. mightn't he? It, yeah. it might be. It might be a last sub, or he might prefer to have a fullback there. He might want to have you know just just in case we need defensive cover. Could Adam do. Matthews could be on there. I mean, I, I don't know where Adam Matthews is these days. I mean, the other thing is you know because it's a one-off game because you've got to win it. 
is there an argument that you go Sterling as well as a kind of wild card in case you're chasing mm, the game at that, some that stage? Could be that, a, that could be a that's risk. That's a possibility. It's a risk. Mind you, that's be a risk, big, big cult hero status. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? Absolutely massive. Are you kidding? He'd be like, it, it, it would be bizarre because he just, for me, and again, I don't want to be too negative on any of our players, but he has all the hallmarks of a no-mark loan that you get in January Makes about five panic appearances. Loan. Yeah, yeah. scores once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so got all, all the hallmarks yeah. of a Ben Jarni or a Louis Sahar for Sunderland, where you bring him in for half a season and you just yeah. you, you can really easily forget. Is that pub, kind of pub question in ten years' time? Who oh, was yeah, that yeah. player? Isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I ga- yeah. guarantee you he will be in ten years' time, and the, my thirty-two-year-old self will not get it right. <laughs> that's, how, su- that's how it'll go. I'm surprised. I mean, I'm looking at the screen here as well. I'm surprised to see not many people have mentioned Maguire. No, no, maybe, maybe, maybe we can scroll, Josh. Um, I almost called you Johnny again. Maybe we can scroll, <laughs> maybe we'll see. Because for me, I Come think, on. there's there's one, spelled it wrong. Ah, God, annoying. Um, for me, he could be our key player. I think Maguire is the type of player who is going to relish Webberley. Mm-hmm. He is yeah. a big game player, 100%. He's the one who stands up. He always wants the ball. He's just, I think he's class, and I think he loves these games. Yeah. Well, as um, Josh has mentioned there... Ross Lowry says McGeady or Maguire as they are our playmakers but it will take a team performance everyone needs to be on their game also true yeah yeah but it's a funny one we're kind of mentioning every player in the team here but to a certain degree (laughs) Wyke Wyke as well you know the way that Sunderland play now yeah Wyke's going to have to have a good game he's going to have to hold the ball up he's going to have to get other players in and around him you'd like to think he had a goal in him as well but you know he's another one who this last month has quietly put in some pretty decent displays. You know, I thought actually, I thought he played well in both Portsmouth games. Really. He's a nuisance. I thought he played well in yeah. the first game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's going to start ahead of Grigg, isn't yeah. he? So, the, the um, you know, he, yeah, he, he won't necessarily win it in terms of getting the winning goal, but I suspect the way he plays will be very important mm. how Sunderland do. Oh, yeah. Wake has just been, while he hasn't been uh, sort of, you know, a massive goal scorer. He's just, he's been a nuisance and he's done mm. a really good job of holding the ball up and bringing his teammates into play. And I think, even though, even though, if, I mean, you know, maybe in, if we look back in five years' time on his Wikipedia, you might think, oh, he was a bit naffing, he wasn't very good. But you can't underestimate the, the, the contributions he's made, which haven't necessarily involved scoring goals. I mean, you know, when you've got Will Grigg there with McGeady and the Gammy Foot Club, because none of them can play yeah. because they're injured. You know, Wyke's really stepped up and I think a lot of people were starting to turn on him and starting to think, oh, we've signed another Josie, we've signed the, the League One Josie from Bradford. But no, no, he, he's had some he's had some really good games. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. He kind of fits into that category of where we were talking about before. If, if strikers could score 20 goals and win everything in the air and do this and do that and the mm-hmm. other then with the greatest one in the world they wouldn't be League One strike no, no, you know no, no. Yeah. there's a reason why Charlie yeah. White has spent his career applying his trade where, where he's done it mm-hmm. you know because he does have limitations but you know in the League One environment I think he's shown what he's good at in this last month yeah definitely yeah. it's that classic point of well if he was better he wouldn't be here yeah, is, yeah. you know it, it, again it, it sounds like quite a quite a sort of backhanded thing to say but it's, mm-hmm. it's true it's, mm. it's, it's entirely factual that's how it is um, one, another one of our replies who I want to mention because there was a really good thread that came up on Twitter from this um, um, Falk one of our writers said Mac Guire as, well as one of them 
love when, when Johnny's um, when Johnny again you're called Josh <laughs> speaking of getting names wrong when when Josh said just there that oh yeah um, he, that guy spelt Maguire wrong well yeah well um, our 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 man from Graham's the Potts done the exact same thing yeah too much time Maguire, in Scotland yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah so to reply Jack Ford says Griggs Griggs, yeah. Griggs, yeah. Johnny said Charlie White with an I. Charlie <laughs> replied saying Jonas McLaughlin. We've got Jake Collins and St. Alistair Rosturk. Goldsmith says Luke 08. <laughs> I like says, that. Yeah, I like that one. Jake mm. Collinson says Brian Oviedo. Again, Brian with an I. Yeah. I said James Reese. Uh, Jake says Matthew Adams. <laughs> Graham says Robin Reuter. <laughs> Jake, Jake says George Honeyperson. <laughs> Colorado Hume. And then I've got Donald Haight right on the end. Very good, yeah. very good. So there we are. So I don't um, think it's going to get better than that. Should we just stop recording? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So thank you for joining us on the uh, the big crack report. And, uh, none of us are funny. Good night. Now, but a few more things. I think that's probably to be fair. Like on that on that little stream of terrible jokes. I think that's a good way to end that just there so I think we're going to turn our attention to you now Scott because we've got a couple of questions for you okay. I don't believe have you come on the podcast before I haven't, you haven't no, no that's podcast right. debut yeah well yeah. I mean that shows my inexperience as host <laughs> and I don't know exactly who's been on all of them if I had Connor here he'd have a whole spreadsheet hey, Connor would know yeah, yeah Connor would know oh yeah yeah Scott he's been on well, yeah, well, without a shadow without him ah, yeah, like, well according to my algorithms here we could have had him on <laughs> in February 2017 but he didn't come on <laughs> no yeah so tell us a bit about yourself then Scott as, you, as you've not been on before and as you are a new voice for the yes. Uh, so I was. Uh, I'm a Walsingham lad. Yes. Uh, yeah. Bit weird deal with a county Durham. Um, That's so uh, that was uh, brought up in Walsingham. Mum and dad still live there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I, uh, my first journalism job, I worked, I worked for the Press Association, the agency bit when I first qualified. Um, but then I worked at the Yorkshire Evening Post in Leeds for about three years. In the Venables Peter Reed implosion era, oh, yes. which was uh, which was it was great actually. I mean, a great city to live in Leeds, but it was it was interesting times at that football club when it was just you know kind of really hurtling into meltdown that mm-hmm. they've never quite got out of. Um, but then I moved to the Echo in two thousand and four, and so I've had about a decade and a half covering Sunderland Newcastle Borough, which has been. Certainly interesting. Yeah, <laughs> some yeah. highs, some lows, and pretty much everything in between. Yeah, some but there's some real, real lows in there. <laughs> there certainly has been. Craig, if you could pick a there more has been. clubs, it'd be the northeast three or there. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah. That's it. But um, but no, it's great. I mean, you know, you feel like you're covering clubs that actually matter to the people who. Mm-hmm. And I know all football clubs matter to fans, of course they do, but. I still think there is something about the place that all three of those clubs have in the communities around here that well, does that. make it uh, does make it different. Of course, Scott. Just ask the seventeen Portsmouth fans; they'll tell you just how crucial their club is. <laughs> yes, mm. yes, exactly. It's okay. At this point, there wouldn't be any Portsmouth fans who listen to the Rocker Report one hour and one minute in. So I'd be surprised. I'm, I'm sure. I'd won't be, be surprised. Any, I'm sure. I've, I've, if, if I'm looking for bites, I won't do it that way. <laughs> Should have just said start with that early doors, but no, sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you know it's uh, it, it's it's good. Although I would like to, I would like to see if teams actually win something for once. So the thought of actually seeing a team win at Wembley would, would be great. Yeah. I've seen Darlington win at Wembley. I've seen West Auckland win at Wembley. Oh yes. and I think I've seen Shields win at Wembley. And was that's that... uh, that's it. So it would be nice to see one of the others win. <laughs> was that the FA Vars? It was certainly was. Getting yes, it certainly what, what was a trophy. Yeah. Is it, is a question, right? If it's if it's a vase, is it even a trophy? Does well, yeah. 
exactly. It's on at the minute, I think, actually. Yeah, Lane Laurie. Lane Laurie. That's the trophy. Yeah. Sorry, boys, I'm off. Yeah. Yeah, we're missing that. But yeah, well, that's that's been the that's been the you know the Wembley high points from a northeast perspective. So it'd be nice to see a team win a game that actually matters a bit more than that. Yeah, definitely. Out of interest, and what was the first ever big game you covered for the Echo? So, well, right. So the first game that I covered was Sunderland at, at Birmingham, an FA Cup replay, extra time, and I'm pretty sure it was Tommy Smith scored twice in extra time, and Sunderland won two 0 And it was like, um, from a journalistic point of view, extra time is horrendous. Because you're past your deadline. Extra time at St Andrews, which is like fallen to bits, decrepit, tiny little press box, is is worse than ever, anything. And the fact it was the first game was like, bloody hell, it's got to get easier for me. So that was, the first, that was the Wednesday night. And then on the Sunday, I went to Cardiff and did Middlesbrough winning the Carlin Cup final. So when I say I've never seen that, that then is the only time I've seen a North East team win anything resembling a major trophy. So... Um, yeah, so you know, pretty much downhill in the fifteen years since then. <laughs> yeah, your, your first ever um, prestigious win that you've covered for a northeast club was Steve McLaren's Middlesbrough. Steve McLaren, yeah, Steve it was McLaren. Steve McLaren cavorting around with uh, Steve Gibson in Cardiff. Steve um, McLaren, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, but I mean, you know, I, there have obviously been. I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty of games that stand out, but. Uh, I guess from a Sunderland point of view, the um, Luton away, obviously winning the league down there was pretty amazing. The, the, the standout moment from that was just interviewing Roy Keane in a kind of broom closet at Kenilworth Road, which is another ground that, you know, is like you would imagine to be from a working perspective. And he'd kind of been on the pitch and everything. And then time was dragging on when we needed some kind of quotes. And he, um, yeah, you, you, you crammed into this kind of broom closet with Roy Keane and uh, saying, well, they're not, you know, that was the when it you know they're not they're not having a boss. There's no boss. We're not doing anything like that. So you kind of want right. Just to... just say something that just say anything that says this just is like a big up. day. Yeah. It's really good. It's great for the club. Mm-hmm. They're not having a boss. Forget oh. it. I'm not, I'm not. Means nothing. That's great. Um, so that was that was obviously stands out. Uh, Old Trafford, you know, is is the obvious one. The semi final. Um, was 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 you know was great it was brilliant and then and then the whole final experience was great. Um, but Sorry, yeah, I've got a really funny image of trying to get like uh, like being in a, a, a room cupboard with an, with an increasingly irritated Roy Keane <laughs> trying yeah. to get a sound bite. It's like it's that's like Cluedo. Yeah. That's like yeah. Roy Keane with the broom at Kenilworth Road, isn't it? Like, it really is. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean, yeah. the the Keen, even now, the Keen era kind of stands out because it, you know, from a work point of view, it just was, it was great because he was, you know, he was a really interesting bloke and, and like you would imagine, you know, uh, you, you had to, you had to know where you were with him because he would, he, you know, he would, he would quite easily challenge you. You know, if he didn't think your question was right, he'd let you know. But then he actually, I think he quite liked when you stood your ground. And I, you know, I, mm. I think he thought that if you just caved in at the first sign of him bearing his teeth, that it was a, you know, I think he was a bit disappointed by that. I think he actually mm. liked the kind of sport of it more than you'd think. Um, did you ever have any sort of like interesting dialogue with Roy Keane, or did you ever overhear any with a journalist? The funniest, the funniest things used to be some of the away grounds you'd go to. So in that championship season, you know, Rotherham, uh, I remember, and um, and you'd get. You'd get what you used to absolutely hate was their kind of press 
or their people in their press room wanting his autograph. And he would go absolutely berserk about that. It was like, you know, are, are you a journalist? Why are you asking me for your autograph then? And, you, it, and quite often it would be like, you know, some kind of nice 65-year-old bloke who's covered <laughs> Rotherham all his life. And like, this is his big, this is the pinnacle. This is his big chance to meet Roy Keane. And he just would absolutely <laughs> butcher him. And you could see it covered because it, 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 it happened at so many away games that season. Um, and, and yeah, it would just be... You should you don't go asking me for my autograph. You're a journalist. Ask me a question. <laughs> Can I just interject with a quick yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. Did he ever mellow out towards the end of his term, or no, was he consistent really. all the way through? No, not really. He was he was pretty consistent all the way through. Um, Roy till the very end. Roy till the very end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I wouldn't say that he did really. I mean, he was never. He was never. So so I we had Gordon Strachan at. Borough, who you could say was, you know, broadly similar in a kind of spiky way. You got Gordon Strachan was just at Crap. times obnoxious. Yeah, he was. He was not. You know, he, he did not come across as a as a kind of nice human being in any way, shape, or form. Keane wasn't like that. Mm. You know, Keane Keane was personable when he wanted to be. Um, you know, he, he, he you never felt that he was being arsy just for the sake of it. In, in the way that you sometimes did with Strachan, but but he, he you know he definitely had an edge to him, yeah, and you know he would he would quite happily call you out if he thought that your your question wasn't right or you were going down a route he didn't want you to go down. But then he also the, the other good thing about Keane from a work point of view is he just came out with brilliant stuff. You could ask him anything, you know, he he he, 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 he you could ask him anything, and certainly from the national lads' point of view trying to get Sunderland as a championship club into national papers. It was kind of manner from heaven when he'd just go on a rant about Man United or football in general or, you know, because <laughs> they'd ring their desk or Roy Keane's just said said this, right, OK, yeah, forget the fact that you're a championship club. It's yeah. Roy Keane yeah. being controversial. So hey, it, it, it must be just a gold mine of, like, sort of journalistic content, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Mm. And, it, you know, it was it was an interesting period, like, mm. definitely. And, and, you know, and the fact that they... Sunderland were winning on the pitch, yeah. getting promoted. It, you know, the whole thing just made it an interesting time to be covering the club, certainly. Oh, I bet. Which manager would you say, perhaps taking Roy Keane out of the equation here, did you have the best or at least the most interesting sort of working relationship with? Um, probably McCarthy at the start. Probably Mick McCarthy. Yeah, Mick, who was, you know, again, had his moments, could be blunt. Could be, uh, you know, could could have a go at you if he wanted to, but just came across as a pretty decent bloke and knew the game inside out, knew what you wanted, um, you know, wanted to know, had a, knew who you were, wanted to have a chat with you, wanted to have a relationship. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say probably McCarthy. Um, I mean, you know. For all that it went wrong, Steve Bruce was pretty decent from a journalistic point of view. Again, you know, he's a pretty decent bloke, I think, and and was happy to have a relationship. And then you had, you know, someone like at the other side of it. I mean, you know, someone like Advocat was very difficult to cover because didn't really want that kind of relationship at all. Had no. no interest in knowing who you were. Didn't really want to get into a conversation about anything. And so, you know, from a from a work point of view, that he was quite difficult. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's, uh, I'd imagine there's a big difference there between maybe the uh, mentality of play of 
players of managers like McCarthy and, and Bruce compared to Advocate. I mean, yeah. it's sort of common knowledge among Sunderland fans that he sort of reluctantly took the job back. He yeah, really well, that was it. it. Yeah, and, he, you know, he, um, yeah, you, you never felt that he was really there for the duration and you never felt that he, he, he really bought into the whole, you know, ethos of it and, and, no. and being right in amongst it um, in the way that, to be fair, most, most Sunderland managers are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, I suppose it's a fairly by the by point. But Advocat was he looked like a like a tired old man who yes. wanted to retire and didn't want to be just sort of here at Sunderland in the in the cauldron, so to speak. Of I think there was events. a I think there was a yeah I think there was definitely an element of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I, I'd, um, I'd imagine so. Uh, you know, and to a degree, Moyes was like that as well. You mm-hmm. know very morose very hard work you, you know you felt like you weren't really getting anywhere with it a lot of the time God, so there's nothing likeable about Moyes is that at all <laughs> doesn't matter how how doesn't matter how many people I ask doesn't matter how deep you dig you cannot find a single likeable thing about David Moyes yeah 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 I would kind of agree with that um, and he just he just wouldn't say anything particularly interesting you know what I mean so it was you felt like you were kind of pulling teeth a lot with it really mm-hmm. Um and yeah, he, he was he was quite difficult. Allardyce was all right. Um, Allardyce was all right. Grayson was fairly dull. In you know, in in you knew when you were going to his was press really? conferences, you weren't going to get any, <laughs> any 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 kind of dynamite little nuggets. Um, I wasn't really a dynamite kind of guy, Simon Grayson. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. I've probably missed about 25 managers, yeah. haven't I? Let's be honest. In there. Oh, in, the, in the last 10 years. Were you in the room when Grayson referred to the Sunderland job as a Titanic or a big juggernaut? Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, turning, I, turning around the Titanic. Yeah. yeah. Well, Good luck with that it's one. It's like turning around the Titanic <laughs> or a big juggernaut. <laughs> Why? I mean, I'm, look, I, I know that perhaps, you know, things can be said in the moment that are. That uh, you know that can be taken out of context and be wrong, but why would you ever refer to your new job as the Titanic? The Titanic, yeah, I know. What you're saying is there is I am going I to fail, basically. <laughs> it's alarm bells ringing at an early stage, there, God, isn't it? Uh... The cannula, of course, is one we missed, isn't it? Which mm-hmm. was interesting. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he was the opposite, where you kind of knew you were going to get something, you just didn't have a blooming clue why you no. would end up being. <laughs> no. He could say absolutely anything, but he was an interesting fella. Yeah. Uh, when did he break the news about him not distributing ketchup at the stadium? Was that quite like a sudden thing that he sort of like sort of like just uh, yeah. chucked into the mix? Yeah, that that I think that came out from speaking to players. Great. More than him, I think that was a kind of you know. So what's he like? Oh well, I'll you know I'll tell you what he's like. Well, we're not allowed ketchup, um, so you know. But yeah, I mean, the Decanio one that stands out was the end of the season. I think it was Spurs. Was it Spurs at the end of a season where yes. he just went for them? It was after the Phil Bardsley casino thing, I think. It was kind of around that time. And mm. I just remember sitting in the in a press conference. I think it was the last day of the season or maybe the penultimate game of the season. Um, and it and it was just a very kind of anodyne question about the summer. And he basically just said, right, well, I'll be getting rid of half of them. Half of them aren't good enough. Half of them don't care. This, that and the other. And you thought, oh, my heck. Yeah, this is going to go down well on the team bus on the way home. Yeah, like it's just yeah, it, it's it, it's amazing how many sort of colourful or colourless characters you just sort of get in. Yeah, the yeah, game. yeah. I imagine, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm no journalist. I imagine my journalist point of view. It's just a very maybe every. I mean, do you ever get the impression that every time a new manager is appointed, whether it be Sunderland, Newcastle, or Berwick, yeah. 
do you ever get the impression that you just don't know what's going to happen next? That it, uh, that you, you're not entirely sure what's in store. You do with, I mean, you do with some. It, again, it varies. You know, some like say a Moise, you, you've got a pretty good idea of what it's going to be like for oh, the next yeah. twelve months, and you speak to people who've covered them at other clubs, and you you always your heart sinks a bit when they say, "Oh, yeah, you won't. Uh, you're going to struggle." All the best. <laughs> yeah, um, but like. the, but then you're right. There are others that are. That you you know surprise you, or that you you don't really know what you're going to get until you're in there and see. Mm. Tony Pulis. Uh, I, I don't know how he would be. Would he be like? Would he be sort of like dour and, and quite yeah, reserved? Or yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, like snappy. I thought I thought he'd be better from a work point of view than he was really because you know for all that his football might be dour or whatever, he's been in the game for that long that you thought that he'd be. Like like a McCarthy or like a mm. Bruce, you know, and he, and he he wasn't really like that, and he and it, uh, you know as you'll know he, he has this really annoying thing of standing up doing his press conferences and then halfway through when he decides right that's it that's the last question and he just walks out, so it's like right okay I always got the, place, I it? always got the impression watching one of his press conferences that he, he just never wanted to be there correct yeah mm. yeah I think that's exactly right yeah and and, and you know he, he didn't really try to hide it very much either <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you uh, what, yeah, what, so what, it used to be that, um, you know, sometimes in the championship, you'll get a run of a load of matches together. So, you know, you might, they might be playing Saturday and then Tuesday, and so they won't do a kind of press conference before the Tuesday. So you do your press conference after the game, and then you're thinking, right, I need to get some questions about whoever they're playing on Tuesday night. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, he just starts walking off. No, 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 I, I can't even think about that. Great, brilliant. Cheers, Tony. It's just not what I think if you were a better fan or better covering journalist, you just don't want to hear that. Yeah, well, that's it. That game that's in it. time, I've not thought about that. Yeah, that's it. And, and you know, uh, coupled by the fact that covering Borough this season has been a slog in terms of the football, blow my neck. It's, uh, mm. Yes, it's not been great. Even when they were kind of sitting second in the first half of the season, it, at no stage felt like a kind of, you were covering a club in a promotion push and everyone was getting excited. It certainly wasn't like that. No, well, I suppose as a parting question, um, how do you do? You ever think that Emma, in your in your remaining years as a journalist, that you will live to see Steve McLaren win some form of domestic honour <laughs> with the club again? <laughs> well, what, what about an FA Vars or an FA Trophy? He might he might end up he might end up somewhere like that eventually. Oh, God, to be yeah. fair, he's been there. There was talk of him being like a consultant or something at Darlington, so maybe, maybe oh, no. he'll take Darlington to Wembley and the FA Vars, Vars, or if they ever got back there, the uh, conference playoff or something, and uh, maybe that'll be maybe that'll be it for him. This yeah. is how I've done it. Don't do it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got this image of like Steve McLaren with like a, with like an on-brand Darlington Bron. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Watching over like yes. um, uh, the FA Vars with about 5,000 people there losing 2-1 to Braintree. Oh, yeah. That's what it'll be, but his hair will just be just in place, won't it? Just, oh, just, just in place. Yeah. Dangling in the wind. Little yeah. hair island. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's the part where we go for the um, uh, Atletico. We're going on the Bob Mortimer route, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. Yeah. Steve yeah. McLaren's well covered yeah. on another popular podcast, isn't he? <laughs> hey, Casper, we're off to, we're off to Darlington. <laughs> My hair island. I'm not going to, no, I, I can't go down that route, otherwise I'll just get carried away. <laughs> I've had many times in the pub where everyone's jumping into like a Beardsley sketchbook. <laughs> yes. Not 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 only am I um uh, not only is that not on task, but I'm not as funny as Bob Mortimer and I couldn't even I couldn't even attempt to emulate that. Don't put yourself down, mate. Not many are. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. true. That's yeah, true. That's true. Anyway, I think that's a good place to leave it. So we'll just do a little round table before we go. 
looking ahead to the game at Wembley, we're going to start with you, Josh. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give us a prediction? Give us a very brief rundown of how the game will go and give me your score. Oh, strong Sutherland first half. Mm-hmm. 1-0 up at half time. Dodgy half an hour. 1-1. 15 mm-hmm. minutes to go. Late winner. From, 2-1. From who? From Maguire. From Maguire. Steps up again. Who scores the first? Oh, I'm going to go for Catamull. Decent. What about you, Morgan? Every time I predict a Sunderland result in a massive game, it goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm either going to... I'll give you an option. I'm going to abstain or I'm going to say 7-0 Charlton. You can abstain. <laughs> yes. I think, I think that's, that's what we'll that's what we'll agree on yeah. because uh, every, I think every time I've predicted mm. a positive result yeah. it never goes that way. <laughs> no. Well, I mean right. Yeah, I, I mean I I appreciate the attempt at reverse psychology but I'm not letting you say 7-0 on a Sunderland podcast. I hope you'll understand. Well, then we'll just edit that bit out and I'll abstain. Yeah, fair enough. Hope you get that Sean. Right. Right. Do you want Scott? Yeah, I'll go Lyle Taylor scores for Charlton in about 15 minutes. 1-0 Charlton. 1-0 at half-time. Sunderland equalise 51. Maguire. Sunderland take the lead 57. Someone like Morgan, if he's playing. Mm -hmm. Charlton equalise about three minutes left. Header from a corner. 2-2. Extra time. 3-3 at the end of extra time. Sunderland win on penalties. (laughs) <laughs> That's the way to do it, isn't it? That, uh, uh, well, do, it not really. That. With Lee Catamore scoring the winning penalty. Oh. What could be better? Oh God, imagine if you're like an employee at, at, at the Sun until at, at full will 73. Right <laughs> yeah, now. exactly, yeah. Crikey, that would be <laughs> yeah. glorious. But All joking aside, though, I can see extra time and penalties. I can, I can see I can. it a million miles off. I don't think it'll be that dramatic, though. I think how it's going to go is that we're going to get an early goal. I think we're going to start really brightly. We're going to go out all guns blazing and we're going to really just run at the Charlton defence. And I think Lewis Morgan's going to get the first goal. So that's 1-0, I think, in about 12 minutes. I think it'll be like really just yeah. like... They'll start well, they'll get the goal and then they'll be decent for the rest of the first half. Not as good, but decent. They'll start the second and it'll be like against Portsmouth in the checker trade where they'll start and like Charlton will have the upper hand and they'll have the momentum and then we'll get pinned back and we'll be sort of clenching our teeth thinking, oh, can we hold out here, can we not? We'll get to 75 minutes and Lyle Taylor, 1-1. I think through a, through a, a, a fairly well-worked goal, but a yeah. goal that we still think we could have done better with. Yeah. It's going to be something like that. We're getting very specific here. <laughs> we are. We're, we're going to go to extra time and we're going to we're still going to be up against it. We're going to be up against it for the rest of extra time. We're going to look like they're the better team. We're going to get to 125 minutes and we are going to get a goal from nowhere from Lyndon Gooch. No, wow. do. He's going to, run, he's going to come on do. as the impact of run at the defence and get the goal. Mm-hmm. In his defensive wing role. In, in, yes. Yes. in his defensive yes. winger role. Yes. Yeah. And then does he instantly take it to the corner? Because he was brilliant at that against Portsmouth. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. That one they, they will absolutely yeah. just like take, they will just absolutely be ridiculous with the time waste till the end of the game. Yes. It'll rile Charlton up, we'll be, we'll, we'll be halfway between cheering and laughing by the end of it <laughs> while we celebrate promotion to the championship. Oh, that's how we'll do it. It might happen. That will that, do. That, that is, will do. That's not how it's going. That, that's not. How, that's not a prediction. That is a premonition. That is how it's going to go. Is it just me that thinks it's a bit surreal that we might actually get promoted? Because I had a few weeks where I was like, it's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. I do. do you know what yeah, I mean? I know what you mean. It's do you know what I mean? Of... 
I think everyone's been so focused on sort of what's been happening yeah. and the kind of fluctuation in results and performances that mm-hmm. we've kind of taken our eye off the, well, what yeah. does it all mean? That's yeah. how it feels to me anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's been so, it's felt like there's been so long as well where you've been looking at other results and thinking if they do this and that with all the games in hand, if they win the games in hand and blah, blah, blah. You know, for it to actually come down to the clarity of one match, win it or don't win it, it you know, it's actually it kind of focuses the mind, doesn't it? Yeah, in a way that it it's hasn't big. really happened for a little while this yeah. season. I, I fear for my mental state when I'm walking a Wembley way because, I mean, I was, I mean, I don't know about you lads, but I was nervous at the checker trade. God, I can't imagine what that's going to be like. Mm. <laughs> I can't wait though. Oh, absolutely not. No, it's, uh, it's as they say, the hope you can't stand. Can I, just one thing from me, Alex, before we're cut off, just no. to say the, uh, <laughs> the fans, I think the fans deserve a, a massive shout really for the way they've supported this year, home and away breaking you know attendance records and the way they've supported away from home as well 1300 was there at Portsmouth Thursday mm-hmm. night yeah, yeah. daft round yeah. trip six seven days no it, so. it has it's been uh, it's it, you know there's been some ridiculous games this season hasn't there you know Blackpool being the obvious one where mm-hmm. it just felt incredible kind mm-hmm. of seeing all that going on around you um, but but you know even even a lot of the you know the sold out AFC Wimbledons and the, you know those kind of days really yeah you remember as well because uh you know it's um no you're you're absolutely right yeah mm-hmm. the the following you know home and away this season has been extraordinary in Lee one it's tremendous yeah the, the fans are an absolute credit to the club and only I, I, you know we're we're going to take one last trip down cliche street and i'm going to say that you know i finally feel like the fans once again are reflected by the club's attitude yeah i think we've got a great committed team We've got a great set of fans where we've got a, a, a loyal following that is just reinforced by a loyal, hard-working and talented team on the pitch. And that is precisely why we are going to win promotion to the championship in the most romantically poetic fashion. So that's that's just my that's just my two pence worth. Uh, hopefully we're all in agreement there. Yeah? Yeah. How yeah. are the lads? Got a few nods there, by the way. That wasn't just like an awkward silence. <laughs> <laughs> there, were, there were some nice He didn't. Nods he didn't. <laughs> some nice nods around the studio. But yeah, so that, believe it on that note, hopefully the next time we are on the podcast, we are going absolutely ballistic because we are in the championship. But regardless, we will be here anyway. So thank you very much for tuning in. And it has been a pleasure as always. How are the lads? Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAG is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAG, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.